Greetings, friends. I'm Galen, and welcome to the Gaming Adventure and Discovery Explorers. A show about our adventures and discoveries as we explore the world of gaming. I'm Chad. On today's show... Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, Part 2. What did we like? What didn't we like? Let's, Let's explore. explore. Chad, how you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm really good. I'm also doing well. We are both well and good. <laughs> Our internet has been a little wonky lately. Ah. But the the good news is that my the game I've been playing, Fallout New Vegas, is already downloaded and local. So even though our internet was down overnight, um, I was able to play it Huzzah. and finish it. Ooh. Yeah, finally came to completion. And so as everyone might remember, I've been playing this for several months. And I decided that I really wanted to kind of own Vegas, my character to own Vegas. And I've been using, you know, laser weapons. And, and it turned out I was able to succeed. I was able to declare and be the ruler wow. of the independent new Vegas. Yeah. So I was very successful. Um, and it was super fun. Like it was very satisfying. And the ending kind of gives you a quick snapshot of all the different characters and kind of subplots. Oh, that's and cool. Kind of tells you what happened. Yeah. yeah, it was very cool. The one thing that I'd realized was I had put a bunch of points into my speech skill mm -hmm. and i think i've talked about that because like a lot of times that opens up different options oh, yeah. in the game yeah and i like that stuff and so my character had nearly either was maxed out or was nearly maxed out in, in speech mm -hmm. and so then at the end of the game there are two major factions the quote good guys but they're they're very military good guys mm -hmm. or the the bad guys they like to crucify people that's how you know they're bad oh okay yeah <laughs> pretty clear yeah right and so i had allied mostly with the quote, good guy military, but then realize like, but they're still military and I kind of don't want the military, like I don't want to live in a military dictatorship, even mm -hmm. if it thinks it's benevolent. Yeah. They were my allies throughout most of the game and it, well, the fun part of it was that, well, fun, <laughs> when I betrayed them <laughs> and had to take up arms against my former allies, it was kind of satisfying. I mean, it was like a hard decision, sort of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, because my speech skill was up so high, I was able to avoid almost all of the major battles at the end and just oh, wow. talked everybody into retreating, <laughs> into fleeing. I mm -hmm. kind of lied my way through both both factions, both the good quote, good guys and the bad guys, I, I convinced to depart. There yeah, were some yeah. battles to get to those points, but once you got to the leaders, then I could I convinced them to leave. It mm. was fun. That was a little anticlimactic. There was another part where there's a there's like a boss, like the boss of New Vegas, who's like mm -hmm. the, the casino boss. It's a Howard Hughes um, homage. Okay. There's a point where you just have to kill him or you can work with him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I don't mm. want to work with him anymore because he wanted me to kill some other faction that I was friends with. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. I wasn't going to do it. I realized that to kill him, I thought would be difficult. And it wasn't. Uh. I just walked in and killed him. <laughs> and he was this old withered man, like in a vat. And and I just shot him with my laser. And <laughs> Embroider that on a sampler. An old withered man in a vat. I love it. And it also reminded me, even though the, the engine is the same as Skyrim is, one of the major differences is there just aren't any puzzles. It really is very linear about how do you accomplish things and where do you go and, and all that. And mm, so this yeah. was the most difficult puzzle. And I just had to open a door and run inside <laughs> and kill the guy. Yep. And that was it. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. I had tried it once and didn't go fast enough, and his robots had killed me. And I was like, oh, that's impossible. Ah. But it wasn't. You just had to hustle a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, it was a little anticlimactic. Yeah. And because I had talked the major factions into leaving, there wasn't a huge battle at the end that was super challenging. You know, right. there was some skirmishes, right. which were fun, but it was, you know, remarkably smooth. But that was my choice, and I appreciate that choice. But it was yeah. good fun. I've always found it intriguing in games like that to hear other people's stories, because there usually are at least... There's one point in the game, sometimes several points in the game, where you can say you're playing as a as a like a good aligned character and you're trying to follow the straight and narrow that way. There are times where you're presented with choices that can make that goal a little nearer, but you have to maybe go down a little darker path to get there. Yeah, for sure. And it's, for sure. it's always interesting to hear people's m- motivations for doing that, for taking that darker path that's, that speeds things up a little bit. Or why they don't, or why it's like, nope, I'm going to stay with the, the good guy path, and uh, it's going to take me a little longer, but it's going to be worth it. And this game had a funny mechanic where there was a karma. It keeps track of your karma, mm-hmm. and it also keeps track of how each faction feels about you. So it would be possible to have terrible karma, but everyone love you. So if you were stealing mm. from them but got away from got away with it? Aha. Interesting. It also had this weird irony that you could have a faction that you hated, but if you stole from them under some circumstances, your karma would take a hit. Mm. Mm-hmm. And really, the karma didn't have a real in-game effect that I know of. Maybe there's achievements or something didn't mm. lock into, but mostly it was about the factions. Like if they hated you, they would, you know, shoot on sight. Because I was so I had so much speech. I was really well-loved by many factions, which made a lot of the game a lot easier. Because mm-hmm. I could walk into some mm-hmm. places and just have all my weapons or whatever. And, you know, and, that, and that was good fun. But anyway, it was just a little funny yeah. riffle <laughs> with that game. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear you had a good time with it. That's nice. Yeah, thank you. Funny, so this morning, the internet was working, and I, I was thinking about buying a game and looked on Steam and saw that it was on sale, which is like, mm. wow, it's like 10 bucks for this game. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the sale ends in 20 minutes. Uh-huh. Which, what a coincidence. Like, great. <laughs> Yeah. So then I was like, yes, buy. Put it in the cart. Buy. It's a whole pack with all the expansions. It was uh, uh, XCOM. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I played it on tablet or one of them on tablet and really liked it, but it was really Mm. difficult because it was on on my tablet at the time. So playing it on my laptop, I thought would be great. Got to the screen where I had to put in my credit card, went upstairs to get my wallet, started talking to my partner, and we had a, wound up what I thought would be a short conversation, wound up being long and involved, and uh. the sale ended. <laughs> so then it was $40, <laughs> and I was like, well... Uh, maybe not. I'm not a chump. Yeah, right. And I'm a cheapskate, frankly. We've talked about this. Yeah. Like, I'm just cheap with this yep. stuff, and yep. I know how Steam works. That's also why I shop at Macy's, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. At Macy's, you can always get a really nice collared shirt, which I wear a lot of, for like 10 bucks if you just yep. play it right. Yep. Or you could pay 70 bucks, and that's not usually what I choose to do. I'm the same way with with games on Steam. If I miss a sale, it'll come up again sometime. Yep. I've had uh, Grand Theft Auto V in my wish list and haven't bought it for so long because I know it's going to be a huge game. Yeah. And I played San Andreas and loved it and Mm -hmm. played it for 100 hours probably. Plus, I have to be in the mood for a driving game. Sure. So I don't know what I'm going to do next. We'll find out. Stay tuned to find out. Stay tuned, folks. That's right. So with that, I think we can shift to our main topic of the day. Yes. Back to yesteryear, to Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, the things we liked and the things we didn't like so much, and why. And as I remember, at the end of our last episode, where we were covering just the the kind of the story of of 4th Edition Mm -hmm. and the print Mm -hmm. cycle and how we engaged with it individually, 
we had just got to a point where I think you were chatting a little bit about how it had ended. Yeah. And I didn't really give my two cents because there was some things I very specifically did not like that I wanted to kind of touch on around that. So mm. I thought maybe we'd start there. Yeah, let's do it. If people are listening to both episodes right away, I'd want to give the payoff. There you the go. Cliffhanger. Excellent. So as you and I were both gamers throughout the entire fourth edition life cycle, mm-hmm. I had DM'd and played quite a lot. By the time it had ended, you know, it was in D&D Next. The playtest was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, my campaign was pretty high. I was so burned out from high-level DMing. Mm. And mm. I think you all, maybe not you individually, but the group I was DMing was pretty burned out too because the battles yeah. were taking yeah. like two hours or more each. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I even remember specifically the final battle of that campaign against the, the major boss. And I wanted it to be long. I wanted it to be brutal. I wanted to do the best I could, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this monster had two stages in it. So that was something I had learned about. And there were some kind of cool design things around that, which we can dig into that to what I like. But mm-hmm. I just remember that moment where y'all had been fighting the monster and it got to the bloodied condition. So it got to halfway right. and then it transformed. Mm-hmm. And we still had like three hours or two hours left in the session. Yeah. But it wasn't excitement or fear that I heard from y'all. It was weariness <laughs> yeah as the players were like oh, okay it's not dead and so <laughs> by the time it was over i was done with fourth edition i think just because yeah. high level play yeah. especially at the at our table just took so long i was exhausted and i think we were as a group yeah. were exhausted by by it all. exactly i totally agree with that with that observation because i can't even imagine i engage with fourth edition exclusively as a player Yep. So I can only speak to it from that side of the, the GM screen. And there was fatigue on my side of the screen. Yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> what it was like for a DM because you have to run the combats, right? Yeah. So you still have the combats and then you have everything else. Yeah, it was it was challenging. What, one thing I liked about 4th edition, actually, a, a strength of it was that the burden wasn't that much higher for the for the DM in fourth edition mm. because mm-hmm. everything was designed so tightly and explicitly the, the stat blocks that the, the monsters came in was this, yeah, right. Was this little yeah. block. I mean, it was a lot compared to what I think you, it, what you really absolutely have to have say in fifth edition where you can kind of get away with four lines, you know, hit points, armor yeah. class, and then attack depending on the monster. And these were bigger chunks, especially high level, but it was all there. It was like one spot and it was very clear about what actions they had and I like that a lot. Mm. And mm-hmm. it was almost more programmed, you know, because everything was codified. It wasn't as bad. And this could go back both ways. I never knew what the players could do. And even in 5th edition, I, I'm i getting better about that. But generally, I don't know mm. what y'all's abilities yeah. are. And so right. the mental right. stress wasn't that terrible for the DM. Yeah. What was one of your favorite things about 4th edition? Uh my one my absolutely most favorite thing about fourth edition was its accessibility. As I've said before, uh, fourth edition was my first role playing game, my first D and D experience, and I felt at ease coming into it, opening up the books and reading through, seeing the um, all the power cards and everything uh, all laid out like that. Yeah, it really reminded me of the D&D computer role-playing games and of World of Warcraft yeah. that I was playing about the same time. And so it was really easy for me to slide into it. 
I think that was true for a lot of people. And I think it brought a subsection of gamers into tabletop RPGs that maybe hadn't done it before. Because I remember I'd look before at like 3.5 or third edition and all those tables and Thacko and all that stuff. And I was like, what? Yeah, that was second. Yeah, Thacko was second. Yeah, to hit armor class zero. I was like, what's armor? What? Armor is high and that's bad and low is good good i don't understand anything yeah and this all made sense to me i think that really points out to a really legit evolutionary leap Mm. and each edition had their own kind of steps because one thing about thacko kind of having studied my history of Mm DD, was that that was the first time that they had really codified the rules for the player Mm. so even though it was kind of weird yeah and not presented well Mm -hmm. that was the mechanic yeah and it was dependable and it was clear for the players to calculate how good they were Mm. and in first edition and in the previous editions that was not clear and then so now fast forward to this evolutionary step with fourth edition where they had engineered things even further Mm -hmm. and made it to, to your point really clear and so the powers were very codified and you knew what to expect. Yeah. You knew as a player, the green cards mm-hmm. are my at-wills. I can use those all the time. Mm-hmm. So when in doubt, use one of those. Yeah. And I have my, I think it was the red, the dailies were probably in red, but I don't remember for sure. The red were encounter and the black were daily. <laughs> black were daily, right. And that kind of connects with my previous point about the monster stat blocks also being very clear yeah. with that same, yeah. it's just the information you need is right there. Mm-hmm. And it was really engineered in a way that the other editions had not been. And frankly, 5th edition is very differently engineered. And so 5th edition is not in some ways as tight of a rule system Mm -hmm. because they intentionally left more space. And so you can have a debate about whether that's good or bad. But but to give 4th edition credit, it is it's like a closed system. You know, Mm -hmm. everything is Mm -hmm. fits in together (laughs) in a very clear way versus 5th edition, which has a lot more DM fiat or just some spells are just known to be more powerful. Mm -hmm. Like Fireball, you know, and... And you just live with that. And that's just the way it is because it's fun. Mm-hmm. So how about you? Another thing uh, spring to mind, something that you enjoyed from 4th edition? What it did really well that I loved mostly. <laughs> and when I loved it, <laughs> yeah, I sure. loved it. Yep. Was that from a tactical skirmisher rules perspective, mm. it was a really is even. I mean, it still exists, right? The books are still out mm-hmm. there. It's a really good game yeah. for skirmisher rules plus. Mm-hmm. The combat system is really tight. These little decisions that you make about where you stand mm-hmm. matter yep. for your character. Definitely, right. And when when I was looking for D&D, you know, I was hungry for like, you know, I like that level of decision making and I like charge rules. Remember mm. that you could charge mm-hmm. in fourth edition? Yep. If you moved at least two squares, so 10 feet, you, I think you got a plus one to hit and you got yep. to attack at the end of it. Yep, that's right. For using a, free, a move action. A free basic attack. Yeah, so you could charge and get an attack at the end of that. Oh, and you, but that had to end your turn, didn't it? I think so. I think that had to be the last thing on your turn. So you could attack one monster, I think, with your action, and then charge using your move action. I could be wrong. I think that's right, though. I think that's right. But anyway, it's a way to get another bonus, which was fun, which I think I miss in 5th edition. And then flanking. Mm. It's an optional rule in 5th edition, and it was just part of it in 
fourth edition. And so, you know, flanking was a, you get a plus two to attack. Mm -hmm. And so you're just thinking about where should I stand? You know, where should I end my turn? And it mattered. Mm -hmm. And because it was a plus two, it felt very balanced. That's, you know, an incremental advantage that matters, but it's not a game breaker. Mm. Versus in fifth edition, if you use those rules, which I never have, you get advantage. Yeah. And I've always thought that was too much Mm -hmm. of an advantage for flanking. I love that stuff. That part of it always felt like a tabletop war game. It was being being a little separate from a role-playing game. Because I'm also, my background coming out of Warhammer Fantasy and that sort of thing. And so formations and positioning on the battlefield, it's it's something that I was familiar with. Yes. And as deep as you wanted to go into it with the feats that were available Mm -hmm. for characters and that sort of thing, as deep as you wanted to go into the tactics of your wargaming table, you could in this edition. Uh-huh. It was there for you. All that stuff was yes, there for was. you to back you up. So so having been a player, mm-hmm. what's your memory of how good we got performing together as tactical groups? I don't know that, that our tactics were necessarily very good. Yeah. I know <laughs> that we knew what the other players were going to do. We knew their play tendencies. We've been playing long enough together that I knew what your basic tactic plan was going to be. And I knew what like Kayakone's and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that was our biggest strength. I don't know that we were an elite special forces squad and every one of us knew, (laughs) you know, how to clear a room and all that stuff. Yeah. But we got it done. We were pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good toward the end. And that reminds me that part of the design of fourth made it easier to be at least competent because of the explicit Mm -hmm. roles. If you were a Mm -hmm. defender. Yes. Like as a fighter or paladin, you were a warden. You know, there's a few, you know, Mm -hmm. you were supposed to be up front and it's your job to take the damage. And if you were a controller, your job is to keep some of them away. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a striker, Mm -hmm. you better just do damage against whatever you can kill. Exactly. Exactly. But I remember we were often bad at spreading out the damage. So we would find reasons Mm. to attack different monsters all the time. So we would have done, you know, seven points of damage against all dozen goblins and they would all be alive right fighting and attacking and doing damage <laughs> all still be alive yeah all with advantage yeah right or something. <laughs> right and i think that leads right into the consequence of fourth edition it led to some complexity yes uh, indeed. do you want to talk a little bit about how that wound up oh uh, the attack modifiers right they were fun up to a point but as we progressed and as people got more and more feats and powers and stuff like that it became for me a job just to keep track of all the different numbers yeah this is when my mind today would have longed for just an advantage oh my god yeah instead of like i charge okay so that's plus one uh he's yep prone so that's another that's plus two yeah and but wait a minute but he's also underneath a body so maybe that's minus two big partial cover oh my god yeah and then flanking plus two (laughs) and that would just be the stuff between you and your target and bless we always forgot bless bless (laughs) plus one not only you have to keep track of that but there were so many bonuses being added in by other people in the party yep my uh, character sheet was scribbled raw on one side with all the different numbers from all the different sessions erased and everything trying to keep track of oh man some people's abilities or magic items would would be Mm. for eight hours yeah or for an hour Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you'd have like three combats where that would take effect right and then it would go away yep and so just when you were used to it mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be over and uh there you were it's like oh yeah that was tough mm-hmm. that also wasted a lot of time yeah. like recounting and, and counting and mm-hmm. how many did we miss exactly you know and how many did we exactly. count twice and yeah oh man this is the exact flip side to what i was saying earlier about 
the depth of the system as a war game. Yeah. That the depth is there. But also, if you're not a great swimmer, it's still going to be that deep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It can be easy to drown in it. Yeah. This is also the flip side of what you'd said about accessibility, mm. where mm. in some ways, fourth edition was very easy because of the power cards and everything. But as you got going, mm-hmm. you know, you and I are hobby gamers. Yes. We like to take an afternoon mm-hmm. and you know, get into the complicated game. And we both on more than one occasion got our butts kicked by fourth edition trying to do the math, right? As a game that also was trying to bring in new players and did, Mm -hmm. that was another barrier, especially as as you got into high level play. Yeah. Do you remember whenever we did like one shots or or you started a few characters at different levels mm-hmm. and I did too, mm-hmm. how hard that was? Oh God, yeah. Like if you started at 10th level or 15th level. Yep. <laughs> yep. You definitely needed a ramp up to yeah. a character. It, it was no fun jumping in at 10th level, trying to remember all the stuff that those first nine levels would beat into you as you play the game, yeah. but you don't yeah. have that. So you're like, oh, I forgot. Half yep. of my stuff. I forgot that when I rage, I yep. take the half damage or whatever. It's like, oops. Oh, well. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. Definitely. Because it was really designed as a as a grid game. Mm-hmm. You know, it was designed to be played mm-hmm. with miniatures and on a map. Like, I love that stuff. I like the toy element of games. Mm. I love Ameritrash mm-hmm. games where you just kind of have this sprawling piece and the artwork yep. and all that. I loved that. Loved it. I still use a map almost mm. every time in 5th yeah. edition. Yeah. But one of the challenges was that 4th edition had back to the modifiers and the spell effects. Mm -hmm. There were so many spell effects and there were marks. Mm -hmm. Favorite enemy, if you were, I think, the... No, favorite enemy is the ranger ability. But then, like, the Avenger had an enemy thing. And, like, the... There were spells that would affect mm-hmm. the controllers. The whole thing was that they were affecting, had effects on yep. the monsters. So we were using pipe cleaners with mm-hmm. different colors to mark what, you know, who was marked and who, you know, what the zones were. And that was fun to an extent, but sometimes it was yeah. so much. Yep. And you could buy little counters to put on there, which was kind of cool. But like then you moved because of the right. dynamic Yep. game of movement now everyone move your zones and remember exactly and then all the minis were like <laughs> on top of the zone because they've been yep. moving around yep. <laughs> Ugh, it yeah. was such a hassle it was a hassle definitely yeah it was necessary because there's no way that you're keeping track yeah. of all of that stuff just in your head no you need that physical representation yeah. on the table zones were really tough Mm -hmm. zones seemed like a really good idea and on paper i get it Mm -hmm. because it adds this benefit it's just there you know once you set it up you're good but then the reality of it at the table it's still very easy to forget yes how that works and you can kind of mark it but Mm -hmm. one of the things about the later design concepts from the essentials line especially was they used more zones Mm -hmm. i think the fighter or something might have had an ability to kind of do constant damage some of the monsters had this too just like if you ended your turn so close or so far or Mm -hmm. give more combat modifiers and it was just so hard to remember (laughs) yeah it really was a lot of people loved them and thought it was a great design advantage but i tried to love it (laughs) and didn't love zones (laughs) that'll be the name of your gamer biography i tried to love zones that brings to mind something i really loved about fourth edition which was the third party support oh yeah the internet community around it all mm-hmm. you know sly flourish is the one that is top of mind for me and there were many others but mike shea is still writing and producing and yep. publishing books and mm-hmm. stuff and he gave and continues to give so much like real here's how it works at the table you know here's what works for me yeah. 
Right. Here's some some advice about how to handle these situations. And mm-hmm. and that was just great. Oh, definitely. You know, learned so much from so many. How to do encounters differently. You know, all that kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As it ramped up and I started to feel the water get a little higher, the <laughs> online resources for fourth edition, starting with, for me, the message boards run by Wizards of the Coast. Oh, yeah. The forum days, right? The yeah. Forums. Yeah. They were a godsend for easy to find information. And that's how I found people like Sly Flourish and whatnot. As I'd go on and a message board to be about rules or rules questions. And, oh, here's someone that posts all the time. Here's someone that's talking about this blog out there by someone named Sly Flourish. And finding all of that stuff, the absolute, it seemed unending desire to help from people and the resources that people provided. Here's alternate character sheets that are easier to read. Mm -hmm. Here are some templates for doing zones or that sort of thing that I came up with. Here's monster trackers, all this kind of stuff. It was so helpful. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine going through the game as a player without having that online resource connecting to the community. You know, that was the era that I had my own little blog that we have referenced. Mm. I think it's interesting how different the internet world is now. There is still third-party support. There are still tons of interested people doing creative, supportive. There are still communities. Mm -hmm. But it's instead of the message boards, it's shifted to Twitter and Facebook and podcasts like this one Mm -hmm. and YouTube. I don't know. It's just an interesting kind of shift around that. It's a lot more decentralized now. But in a way, I think that's better because it's giving people that didn't have a voice in it a chance to create their own thing, right? Interesting. And to create their own space where they can talk about games the way they want to, Mm -hmm. which I think is great. From my point of view right now, there are more interesting points of view about gaming and different people talking about gaming. And I love it. It's great. And I have mixed thoughts about that. I Mm. think, yes, I have access to some different thinkers, especially from marginalized Mm -hmm. groups that I'd never had any idea about in in that era at all. And because I've cultivated my Twitter feed, I can hear a lot of that stuff and some of that critique of D&D and the colonialist elements of D&D. Right. From people who love it and play it mm-hmm. and are creating D&D products and also saying, you know, y'all, this it's built in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and having to think about that. Or from creators who are tired of the Eurocentric elements of D&D. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with being Eurocentric, but it's like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have some other thing? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not talking about Oriental adventures. Right. Just like right. white people's idea of what Asia mm-hmm. it would be, mm-hmm. you know? So on that part, I completely agree. I think the platforms, though, are more centralized. Mm. Whereas YouTube and Facebook and Twitter are these kind of mega companies. Right, right. That really are owning more and more or, or kind of consolidating the content. Mm-hmm. Even though the voices are more democratic and spread out. That's a great distinction, Chad. Very good. So it's something to pay attention to. So. Definitely. I want to throw another thing in here because I think this kind of yeah. goes in this particular area as well. Something that I love about 4th edition. Yeah. The artwork. Oh. I found the artwork so compelling. The D&D artwork that I'd seen previously was all black and white. It was all line drawing right. stuff. And right. pretty um, standard like fantasy trope stuff. Yeah. And now I get fourth edition book and I see color and I see dynamic yeah. and I see different. That dragonborn on the cover yeah, of the player's handbook. Right. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> I can be that? Yes, you can. Yeah. For me, it started that trend of thinking outside the box of our preconceived ideas 
about what these classes and characters look like or what they have to look like. Yeah. They don't have to look yeah, like anything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this was the beginning of that for me, and it just really engaged my imagination. I remember when I bought the player's handbook, I had that same feeling. It almost felt like coming home. Mm. This is it. Because of the artwork and the design and the even the fonts and mm-hmm. everything just felt like so amazing to me. But I have to confess, now looking back, I can barely look at it oh because i mm. i love the art direction and layout of fifth edition so much more agreed it's a you can't go home again situation mm. it didn't change <laughs> i've changed <laughs> yep, exactly yeah agreed i loved it i think also fifth has done a more conscious job of putting in not just white people when there's a choice you know when it's not a monster precisely like humans are of different colors you know so one of the things about the art of fourth edition for me is i went to a i think it was just like people getting together and playing D&D at some game store. Sure. But they had an artist there. His oh. name is uh, Raven Mamura, and he was an artist for Dungeons & Dragons. Nice. And did like some of the Codex books and all that kind of stuff. And I bought a piece of his art. Oh, awesome. Like, love it. Yeah, I'm going to buy that. It looks rad. I love it. It's charging step warrior on a horse with a lance, and it just looks so good and so I agree the art of 5th edition for me surpasses the art of 4th, but 4th just has something in it for me since it was like my first, this D&D is mine. Yeah. (laughs) So. And I think that leads very similar to another thing that I loved about 4th edition was that it came out with these monster races right out of the gate. Mm. Player's Handbook has Tieflings and Dragonborn, for example. Mm -hmm. And it got wild in some of the other later Player's Handbooks, too. Mm. And I just love it. I just love it. Mm -hmm. Or you could be a... Was it a Scion? No, a Scion was the class. It was a Shard Mind. (laughs) What the hell? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I know I know some people turn their nose up at it, but I'm all in. Yeah, give me the shard mind. Same here. What? <laughs> and Minotaurs and like yep. Goliaths and all that cool stuff. Yeah, too, for me, fourth edition being my jumping off point, I didn't know any different. For me, when they came out with this stuff, I'm like, yeah, it should be like this. Right. All this weird, cool stuff should be available. Why not? Yeah. I think it wasn't until last year, in fact, that when I was looking into more old school Renaissance stuff, OSR stuff, where a lot of those only have those base races. Mm. Humans, elves, halflings, dwarfs. I've kind of come back around a little bit and also had an affinity for some of that other presentation. Sure. Yeah. Of keeping the player simpler characters in a crazy world. Mm. Mm -hmm. A little Game of Thrones-ish. But anyway, that's kind of beside the point. At the time, I just loved it. As I remember, our party... I was a tiefling. You were actually a human, weirdo. Yep. <laughs> we had a dragonborn and... Elf and a, a half-elf? Maybe. An elf and a half-elf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess they weren't too monstrous. And I think we even got a little more kind of crazy. And then you changed to a goliath. So we got a little more mm-hmm. monsters there for a while. So anyway, mm-hmm. this gives us yeah. good fun. Yeah, definitely. I just have to talk about something I hated about 4th edition. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> Some of the conditions and effects. Oh. The worst mm-hmm. was stun. Yeah. And the second worst was Dazed. Yep. It also bears telling my story around that and why I particularly hated it and why I was a fool for letting it get this far. Mm. <laughs> and I had decided in my campaign that I would use the Tomb of Horrors 4th edition book that had come out. So it was like a replaying of the Tomb of Horrors. So some additional dungeons and, and it was cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But the monsters in there were all like had these psychic attacks and mental attacks yeah. and they all had stun and dazed effects. Yes, they did. If I had just chosen a different 
adventure or a different flavor, I would have avoided so much of that. But I got mm. really just stuck in this idea that I wanted to play this thing. Mm-hmm. And so the whole second half of our campaign was rooted in that, very much in the way that my first fifth edition campaign was really inspired by a lot of different elements. So I had a lot mm-hmm. of homebrew stuff and did some collage stuff of different stuff. But the spine of it was that. Mm-hmm. And just to tell everyone, I don't think Dazed exists in fifth edition, but Dazed, you would only get one action. So you didn't have a move. You didn't have your minor action. You only mm-hmm. had, I think, one standard action. And you couldn't take opportunity attacks or whatever. So in this game where everything was so precise and, and turns took a long time, and uh-huh. it could take 45 minutes to be your turn again. Oh, yeah. To only be able to do the one thing mm-hmm. was just really frustrating. And yeah. then stun, oh. you didn't get to do anything nope. except maybe make a saving throw. <laughs> yeah. And if you failed your save, it could go forever. Mm-hmm. You could just be stunned again yep. and again and again. Yep. In the context of all this other stuff about high-level play, it takes forever, and you have to remember all your bonuses, all this mental work, mm-hmm. to then not get to play the game. Yeah. Was awful. Yeah. Ew. And I was a fool for not just doing something different. That's one of the things I've learned so much about just being more flexible. And if something isn't fun, you have to change it. Right. Because it's your table. Yep. Yeah, it was bad. It was. It was bad. I can remember some of those times where here I am stunlocked yep. for a while, yep. granting combat yep. advantage, can't take any actions, can't do anything. It makes you longed for being dazed. Yeah, I know. Which was awful. It really I can remember sometimes at the table too where players, separating them from characters, players would get really frustrated. Yeah. To the point of I don't want to be here. This is just not fun. It's a thing, right? We have to like you said, keep an eye on your table about what's going on. And when the players start to slide into this Mm. negative headspace, it can have a massive impact on the campaign, right? Absolutely. People start getting chippy and snippy with each other. Totally true. Yep. It's a way that we have to keep an eye on how the in-game action can affect the mood of the players at the table. Absolutely. As we were just discussing about how 4th edition was so tightly designed, there was a sense in 4th edition that the DM was just facilitating the game Mm. and making some choices, but you didn't really have the same level of control. Like, you did, but it didn't really encourage you Mm -hmm. to take that control. Mm -hmm. Versus now in 5th edition, and some of the the designers, Jeremy Crawford, for example, will say, like, like, you can fudge the hit points Mm -hmm. if you want. Mm -hmm. If you want this creature to be less powerful, just give them fewer hit points. Yeah. that's what that range is for. It could be dynamic. You know, I think Matt Colville often will encourage DMs to really own the experience of the players at the table by making adjustments mid-game. Definitely. And I did not get that. Like, I I was starting to, Mm. Mm -hmm. or I felt like I should do something, especially later on, but I... I didn't really understand that lesson until 5th edition. That's interesting. In the stun effects, could have done Mm -hmm. things so much different. But the game didn't encourage you to. Yeah. Which is another problem, I think, that 4th edition had. Kind of shifting a little bit to what 4th edition did really well. I think my favorite game book, mm-hmm. eh, one of my favorites, I think it's the best at what it did, was the Essentials Rules Compendium. Okay, yeah, you've mentioned this before. Yeah, and that is probably my most worn out game book. <laughs> Maybe even to this mm-hmm. day. I mean, not counting the player's handbook that I first bought that the glue fell apart. Right. <laughs> that was bad binding, but yeah. and heavy use, but both. 
The Essentials came out about halfway through the print run, and they just put all the rules, all that like, here's what you do, here's how you jump, and here's mm. how you, mm-hmm. here's what flanking means, but in a kind of logical order. And so it wasn't interspersed with the flavor, and it wasn't interspersed with feats, and, and like how mm. to be a DM, and all that stuff. It was just the rules. Mm-hmm. And it was a paperback, really well bound, but paperback. So if you're going to haul one book to your game, right. that's the book. You always took that mm-hmm. book. You always had it at hand. And if you had any yeah. question about anything, that was the book. As I remember, it had a pretty good index too and maybe not great but it was at least a good index mm-hmm. it was super usable all in one place I loved it I think 3rd edition had something similar 5th edition does not 5th mm. edition is still a little spread out about that yeah. and that would be something yeah. I would I would like to see 5th isn't as bad because the rules are not as dense but it might yeah. still be nice to have it all in one place <laughs> so you're not flipping mm-hmm. around and, and checking different books and all that stuff yeah and I seem to remember with fourth edition too, the errata came fast and furious oh with that edition. Yes, I think especially essentials would be useful in that aspect as well. Getting that oh that one book with all of the up to date. Yep. These are the rules. Yeah, because it came out midway through. At least the stuff that just was broken was all resolved by then. Yeah, back to something I didn't like. They didn't public play test it and so it didn't really feel like the game was mm. finished until the essentials yeah. came out till two or three years yep. into the print run especially compared mm-hmm. to fifth edition which isn't really fair to compare the two but anyway there you are i do have to say that's one of the things that irked me as a player i didn't have the funds to keep up to date with all of the different books and everything that came out right. fourth edition yeah i bought my player's handbook and that's the only book i bought for fourth edition that's all i had and when the errata started coming for it i was like Oh, what? (laughs) I thought I bought a finished game. (laughs) I know what's happening. And I got lost and I stopped keeping track of the errata. Sometimes at the table, something would happen and someone else would say, oh, did you know about the errata for this? And I'm like, nope, I don't. So I'm playing it the way that's in my book. Yep. That was so bad. Yeah, I... Yeah, that was bad. A lot of that stuff wasn't inconsequential stuff. No. (laughs) It was uh, powers changed and all that kind of thing. and uh, Like first level... At will powers yes. changed yes, for high use classes. Yep. Yes, indeedy. I think I only have one more thing that I loved. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I got two more things. And this, it's very similar. So maybe I'll bundle them together. Yeah. I think the design really hit its stride two thirds of the way through the print run. So mm-hmm. when Dark Sun came out, mm-hmm. A, I just love Dark Sun. And I thought that book was just beautiful because there was yes. a campaign guide. Artwork was just beautiful mm-hmm. and it was usable because mm-hmm. it had classes in there and races. And I think it had classes. Races for sure. And maps and the whole thing and it was so fun yeah and then the monster book i think i got both for for christmas actually and those monsters were just better designed monsters Mm. they were more interesting Mm -hmm. they ran faster and smoother and the combats worked better and so i was using reskin dark sun monsters that's something i did learn Mm. as a dm to control was i would use more of those yeah for the second half of my campaign i love that and then similarly that essentials line also had a monster book that I loved. There were two monsters especially that were my favorites that actually I haven't used in, in my fifth editions. Hmm. I might need to do that next time. Yeah. Well, the first is the, the Owlbear, ah. which is an old school monster. It's been around at least since first edition. Yeah. And it's already crazy, right? <laughs> what is that? It isn't a thing. Yep. That's not a yep. thing, right? But it's great. It's got this giant beak and it's a bear and it, mm-hmm. it was really well designed. I think it was only like a CR5, you know, so like a low level, yeah. but it would beak you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it had like a one-two punch. Bites and claws and all that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think if it clawed you twice and it hit, then mm-hmm. it could beak you for like yeah. double damage or something. And that double damage, yeah. it was a whopper, which was something they really had added at that point in their design mm-hmm. phase. 
And then I think my favorite fourth edition monster is the Beholder. Ah, uh, yes. Which I think is my favorite battle that mm. I DM'd was right. the Beholder battle. And I think we might have mentioned this in other times, but because it was <laughs> a large room, I had done my homework, so I had some sense yeah. of tactics. The Beholder was floating out of reach, mm-hmm. shooting you guys. One player later was quoted as saying, I think I only lived because of a math error. <laughs> in that case, all the math errors that, that happened yeah. was to his advantage. Right. <laughs> right. And nobody felt bad about that because he wasn't cheating Mm -hmm. it's just like that's how it was you guys were scared yep and you in the good way and you innovated yeah you thought of something clever and as a dm not to brag but i think both the players and me as a dm had an evolution of that battle where you Mm. thought of something clever Mm -hmm. and i let it work yeah i could have been a dick about it yeah Right. But I was like, no, I think that monster would fall for that. I might have even rolled like an intelligence check or wisdom check or something. I don't remember that for sure. Yeah. Where you guys lured him down a passageway where you could get to him. Mm-hmm. And it was just fun. It was. Y'all ganked him. Them. Like, I don't think beholders have gender, right? So them. Yeah. It was moments like that that 4th edition really lent itself to at times. I remember that combat and I remember the area that it was in. And afterwards Mm -hmm. thinking that you did such a good job making that seem like a place where that creature lived. Yeah. This was its place and it knows Mm -hmm. all this stuff and it's using these tactics and it's screwing us up. So we need to find (laughs) a way to Mm -hmm. get over on it. It was a lot of fun. And there was a definite sense of, like you said, we were scared, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And when we prevailed, it was a real sense of we accomplished something. Yeah. It wasn't one of those, oh, finally we get to stop rolling all these dice because my God, it's exactly. taken nine hours. <laughs> it was like, no, yeah. we did it. We overcame the totally. thing together. We did the thing. Yeah. So that's all I got. You got anything else? I think maybe that's it. I think, I mean, there's so much. We played it for so long, but I think those are the the highs and lows. Cool. Okay, I have a special ask of all of you listeners out there. Instead of fiddling with iTunes and likes and reviews, I want you to mention this podcast to one person. That's all. Just mention it in conversation. So say something about, you know, you're chatting and you're like talking about Lord of the Rings and you say, oh yeah, that reminds me of Gaming Adventure and Discovery Explorers, this podcast that I love. And then just go about your day. And if they ask you, tell them mm-hmm. about it. So just do that and that'd be great. If you want to reach me, I can be reached on Twitter at ContClockwise. Uh, C-O-N-T-C-L-O-C-K-W-I-S-E. And we love feedback and we love engagement. So reach out to us there or however you can find us. That would be awesome. You can uh, hit me up on Twitter as well at Zobmi, Z-O-B-M-I-E. I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, folks, take care of yourselves. And game great. Oh, well...